The Anton Savage Show Saturday with Nifty Business on News Talk. You are listening to the Anton Savage Show on Saturday. Don't forget, we're with you on Sunday from 10 to 12, Saturdays 9 to 11. And I'm joined in studio by Brenda Power, columnist with the Sunday Times and the Irish Daily Mail, and Barbara Scully, broadcaster and writer. Folks, good morning. Good morning. morning. How are you doing? I'm doing very good. Let us talk immigration because that's where the Irish Times starts. And the Irish Times starts um, inside. Pat Leahy is writing and under the headline, nuanced views on immigration despite concern over level of arrivals. And this is an interesting thing because what it says, Barbara, is that the level of, uh, when people are asked if they have concerns about refugees, the answer is yes, we do have concerns about refugees, but they don't believe that immigration has been bad for the country. No, no. And I mean, I I love this um, because it gives us a a nicer view of ourselves than I think sometimes we might feel about ourselves when we read headlines and listen to debates on radio and on social media. So basically, 48% of the uh, voters who expressed a view say that immigration is overall is a positive for the country. However, a substantial minority, 35% say negative, say that it's a negative thing for the country and 10% say that it doesn't make any difference. And when you go further down into it, uh, 59% um, would welcome a more closed policy as regards immigration than what we currently have Um, and 16% say a more open policy and 19% they're happy um, as it is. The concerns when again you go down further, the concerns that people have generally relate to our services, education and health and housing being overwhelmed by the influx uh, of of new people into the country. 75% said they were concerned that health and education services would be overwhelmed and 82% were concerned about the shortage of housing. Uh, 80% were also concerned about unvetted asylum seekers despite government reassurances that... that, 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 that Which in and of itself is an interesting number. Four out of five people when asked, one of their prime concerns is that of security and safety and vetting. yeah. Yeah, no, it is. But I think the I think the you know, we were we were just mentioning it very quickly outside. The interesting thing is I always think when we talk about immigration, and I presume it would be the same in other countries, what it's doing is highlighting problems that we have anyway that we are not addressing in the way that we have. I mean, our education system is clearly underfunded. Our health system is clearly underfunded and and no longer we don't have enough beds, hospital but it's beds not that for it's our underfunded. population. It, I mean we we spent I think we've the ninth highest spend per capita in the EU on health. It's badly run. Managed. It's badly run. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and I mean, look look at that. There was a story from, um, sorry, I'm digressing a little bit <laughs> now, but well, there was a story uh, that the Mail had actually during the week about an elderly man being dragged out of his bed in Limerick Hospital at four in the morning to be discharged. He was demented. He was confused. Uh, he was agitated. They called security to remove him, to send him home in the middle of the night. Yeah. And and the minister responding to that said, well, this shouldn't have happened. Um, we've already opened, we're opening another 192 beds in Limerick and we've, we've uh, hired an extra thousand staff. Where is it all going? Where are these resources going? That is unacceptable in a country that spends what we do in healthcare. Anyway, sorry, I've completed. No, but if you take that point then, no, no, but if you take, if you take that point and then apply it to what we are likely to see in respect of uh, immigration, if more pressure comes on the health service, if more pressure comes on housing, if more pressure comes on education where people can't get into school because they're looking and saying, well, a refugee or an immigrant has what I believe should be my child's place. This level of dissatisfaction, I assume, will only harden. 
Well, you can't see how it's going to ease. I mean, at the moment, as you say, as Barbara said, these figures are, I would say they're reassuring. Not so much for, for Sinn Féin, actually. No. Did you see well, the figures I mean, for Sinn Féin? They're 75%, sorry, 53% believe immigration has been negative, 72% want a more closed policy and 77% of concerns about about accommodation centres. Now, just explain That's that, Barbara. How is the, the particular relevance to Sinn Féin? Why is that so significant to that Well, party? I mean, Sinn Féin have already seen a bit of a slump in the polls mm. and the suspicion that, they're, that they're, their support may have peaked. And, of course, Mary Lou MacDonald and, and Sinn Féin generally have been very, kind of, well, a little bit nuanced lately, but generally very pro-immigration. So this this is a concern to them. I think this will have to be... And it is because back. their electorate seems to be more concerned and anti-immigration than that of Labour, Finnegan, Finnefall and the Greens. According to this survey anyway, um, 60% would object to... Uh, to having a, a, an accommodation centre in in their locality, and the majority believe that immigration has been bad. That is against bad for the country. That is against the general trend. So that's something they're going to have to address. But again, any of these issues that come up in relation to immigration, as regards health and 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 our education uh, system, are all going to affect um, communities that are you know, underfunded and and, and yeah. disadvantaged anyway, which is obviously, you know, where a lot of the Sinn Féin support would come. So yeah. you can understand in some ways why. And it's always nice to have a scapegoat to blame for whatever the problems are. It's very nice to be able to see that's the problem. It's that person over yeah. there is causing the problem. Are you surprised at how quickly the, the view has reversed, though? Because we now have a situation where people were asked, would you vote for an, would you be more likely mm. or less likely to vote for an election candidate who voiced concerns about immigration? 30% say they would be more likely to vote, 20% less likely. Now, that's from a position where two years ago, the, uh, and the I would guess, the vast majority popular position was, bring us your, your huddled masses mm, yearning to, yeah. leave, to mm. breathe again, free. 60% would not vote for a candidate who said they had uh, issues about, about immigrants coming in. I don't know about that. I mean, wasn't there another survey f- a couple of weeks ago in, in the, the Sunday Independent that mm. found a quarter of people said they would vote for people. And I think there was another survey shortly before that, which I thought was even more significant, said if you didn't have to say it publicly, mm. would you vote for a party that was anti-immigrant? And they uh, was an even higher figure, I think, said, mm. so long as I don't have to tell a pollster that I'm concerned about. Well, that's about the interesting, because if you, if you think back, do you remember that the shy Tory factor, exactly. the, the explanation yeah. for why yeah. Kinnock didn't do so well, because people were afraid to tell survey? Uh, <laughs> I would have thought that a survey like that, people, a lot of people might feel pressure to look liberal and to look open-minded and all the rest of it. So you would wonder if the figures might be even harder I would say they probably than they are here. I wonder if they are. What that's, about the vetting thing? a positive thing. thing. <laughs> now, you've just made it into a we negative thing. What about the vetting thing? 80% concerned yeah. about vetting. Is that is that a function of the sort of far-right activism that we have seen or is that rooted in any kind of genuine reality? Four to five people worried about vetting. Have we seen the criminal I would say that's been whipped up um, by the far-right uh, at those kind of fears because I don't know anecdotally or anywhere else of any anybody who's kind of had any 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 experience mm. of unvetted immigrants being in any way a, um, a threat to them. So I would think that's been something that's been whipped up. I don't think. Yeah. What does it mean for the election, though? Because of all of the sort of difficult juggling nitroglycerin issues, trying to campaign on election, uh, on immigration, either pro or anti, has to be very You'd tricky. I wonder if the response from some uh, local representatives will be to talk out of both sides of their mouths. For I think change, that's gosh. A <laughs> 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 <The> new policy. <laughs> Complete departure from the, from the norm. Um, 
I mean, you know, when when you're, I can, I can sympathise with them. You know, you're talking to a local community which feels, and we've seen around the country, some definitely have justification in feeling that they have taken their share. Um, it'd be difficult for any local, or any 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 public representative or, or candidate to go in and say, you know, you're doing great, lads. Man, you know, there's more to come. So they're going to have to reassure people in in, in those circumstances. So I I don't know. It's going to be a tricky one. The one it. that surprised me though was uh, the shortage of housing. 82% saying that's a concern that there isn't enough housing and that's part of the reason that why we're concerned about immigration. Mm. The one that surprised me was they were asked do they think the local economy is impacted negatively and it's a more or less a 50-50 split. 49% say yes, 44% say no. I would have thought anecdotally that when you talk to people about immigration what they tend to say is the one hotel that was in the town is now gone. That has impacted on cafes and restaurants and retail and everything else. According to this, it is way down the list of priorities for yes, people. Yes, again, you wonder if that's people being 100% honest. But again, isn't it, doesn't it depend on the community in which yeah. you live? You know, in a lot of middle class communities, the more immigrants means it's easier yeah. to get painters and decorators and they're cheaper. Um, and it's easier to get, you know, various of those kind of yeah. services. So, you know, depending on where you live, immigration could be seen as being, yeah, grand. I, I had somebody to fix me garden or do this yeah. or do that and it was cheaper uh, and they didn't speak workers. much English but that was fine they were grand. <laughs> didn't have to sit around chatting with you know, them when so, they finished. You know a lot of the problems I think you know if you took all the immigrants out of the country tomorrow mm. our problems wouldn't be solved. No I don't. Well, if, if you if, whether you separate immigrants and refugees, if you took out yes. all of all of the literal immigrants from the country, we would inherit an all entirely new project, which is how do we actually staff yeah, exactly. all of the businesses that we have across all sectors. Um, other stories, front page of the the Irish Daily Mail. And this is a, a, a difficult one, I would have thought, for future reference for things like tribunals, for things like uh, Rockless committees. Y- y- the paper that you write for Brenda is reporting that D Forbes is getting medical and psychological treatment. This we knew because she had a certain. Yes. What is new is that our solicitors have said this is the case and we will provide evidence to the Oireachtas Committee of this as long as it is confidential. In other words, there isn't a chance of D Forbes appearing anytime soon in front of an Oireachtas Committee. That sets an interesting precedent and a difficult challenge for an Oireachtas Committee, doesn't it? It does. Now, first of all, I th- I'm sure that I saw a report some time ago saying that a, a medical report of some kind had been presented to one of the committees, either the media or the PAC, and that it had been accepted. Um, but, I mean, yes, the question is clearly one of, of importance because, you know, she, she her, her resignation statement said, I am the person with whom the book stops. I take mm. full responsibility. Goodbye. I mean, those are not consistent positions. If you take full responsibility, at the very least, you should, you know, be able to struggle to a, a, a solicitors and, and give a deposition of some kind ex- answering some of the questions but simply to say I take responsibility and I'm out of here is not satisfactory and because I, I accept you know except, obviously these are these are legitimate medical concerns but uh, how how long they can continue to interfere with the legitimate questions or to to derail the legitimate questions that have to be answered and will have to be answered and 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 you know the the longer this goes on with respect to Dee Forbes I doubt it's going to make her chances of recovery any easier because this is these questions are not going to go away. And we should say there are probably three key issues that relate specifically and directly to D Forbes. One is the negotiation done with Noel Kelly to set up the side deal for Ryan Tuberty. Two is the signing off of the RTE uh, Late Late Show, the musical, which of course was in her bailiwick. And three then is the early retirement packages where we've seen correspondence where she was directly involved. 
all of those have her as central to them. So the testimony that she could provide to a committee would be significantly enlightening. What do you do in a situation where you can't get that participant well, to I, appear? I wonder if, if there is, sorry, Barbara, yeah, if there is an, a, an option for the, the committees to just make a finding in the same way if somebody doesn't turn up in court to answer a summons that the court is entitled to make a judgment in their absence. I mean, I don't know if they can make findings. But I mean, and, you're still not getting to the, to what actually happened, which is the truth. And that's that's the thing that we need to do. And the awful thing, well, there's two things. You know, I mean, there was no um, time time scale put on this either. You know, no. is it envisaged that in a year's time she may have recovered uh, sufficiently, as you say, to make a deposition or to appear before a committee? In which case, you know, then there'd be some hope at the end of the tunnel. But this seems to be just... She's not available. And as you say, that's that's the end of the story. And I mean, you can't blame people. For, I've seen a lot of scepticism on, on social media with people suggesting we organise a GoFundMe uh, page to send her to Lourdes <laughs> to help her speed her recovery. But it has to be said, on the other side of it, it has to be awful for her. Because mm-hmm. if she's in a bad way, knowing that mm-hmm. the pursuit continues yeah. and the interest continues and the pressure continues. But that's what I'm saying, you know... It, it should, you'd hope that it should be possible to be able to make some contribution or shed some light on it because which would ease, ease the pressure on her. Exactly and in a lot of ways because she's not able to attend or to do anything or to be of any use or fill in any of the gaps it's just prolonging the agony yeah. of the whole thing out even further and you know again from talking to people um, you know that I know and out and about generally, the awful thing is the damage that this is doing mm. to RTE. Um, you know, with people saying, I'm never paying a yeah. licence again. The whole thing is a mess and the whole yeah. thing is just a joke. And then knowing a lot of good people who work in RTE, you know, the mm. researchers, the producers, mm. really good people working away. And this is this whole mess, which just seems to get worse. I mean, you have the you have the toy show, the musical, you've, yeah. you know, obviously the, the voluntary redundancies most recently. Yeah. And then you've got the, uh, the vol- and then you also have the the um, freelancers, well, the, the bogus, who, the bogus self freelancers. Yeah. You know, there's a whole ton of trouble that has to be sorted and all out of it, here. At the root of it all, it would seem to me, and this is what is fueling the, the rebellion around the licence fee is just contempt for public funds. Exactly. Just threw this around because there's more of where that came from. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I and mean, that's I, where accountability has to come in. But also that's where there's a kind of urgency to sort this out yeah. one way or the other. But again, I mean, she's not the only one who's not appearing. Um, um, you know, I think that uh, the former chief financial officer and the former commercial director have refused the invitation to come along on Wednesday as well. Uh, Moya Doherty is yet, I think, to respond as to whether she will be there. So how much use can these committees be if they're not hearing from the main players? Well, they were t- they were definitely discussing the the possibility of compelability of, of of powers to compel people. I think they should have that. Well, you would have thought in in there are certain instances where they might invite people in and where they have before from private companies where you might say, well, whether or not co- the power of compelability mm. is a good thing. But when it is a state entity and you're answering questions about. You would have thought there is some level of compulsion on the individual. Uh, By the way, it is the Anton Savage Show. I'm talking to uh, Brenda Power and Barbara Scully. And I need help from both of you because I'm in the very deeply unsettling position of finding myself in vigorous agreement with both Andrew Neil and Boris Johnson. And I don't know what to do about it. (laughs) This is because the two of them are writing, again, your paper, uh, Brenda, in in the uh, Irish Mail on Sunday. And they are writing about this interview between Tucker Carlson and Vladimir Putin and... I think the line that they have broken out for the quote panel from Boris Johnson's version is that Tucker Carlson was the pipe for Putin's slurry. 
Oh, that's a good God. line. In fairness that's to Boris. That's very early for that kind of a thing. <laughs> God, I can Yeah, and it. I read the Andrew Neil piece as well. And they're both saying basically a useful idiot. And it sounds, I mean, it is kind of scary when you think about it. If you look at what's going on in, in the United States where this this um, inquiry or this this uh, report seems to have concluded that, that Joe Biden is a well-meaning elderly man with a very bad memory. His rival for the presidency is is a lunatic mm. and, and Russia is run by a deranged psychopath. I mean, I, I've, I've only heard excerpts or at least quoted excerpts from this um, this interview and he seems to have started with great self-indulgence back in sort of 862. 862. <laughs> and, and this Egypt is sitting there letting him not ramble head, and like not throwing in a single hard question. And then apparently boasting about the fact that the only reason he got this interview is because nobody else asked for it. And BBC and several other news organisations have said, we're blue in the face asking to interview Putin. He picked you because you're a, a useful idiot. Yeah. Well, just to be clear on, on, on the usefulness of him, because I think that that is at, at the heart of it. Tucker Carlson, uh, according to the stats released by um, Twitter X, depending on what you call it, this interview with Vladimir Putin has been watched by 140 million people. It is being pushed by uh, Elon Musk to 170 million, that being his follower groups. And it includes claims unchecked, unchallenged Mm -hmm. of things like Poland brought about Hitler's invasion. They agreed to it. And and incited their own invasion (laughs) by the Nazis. And Tucker Carlson simply stood and nodded. How do we get this sort of misinformation back into the bottle? If this is now passing for journalism, what do we do? (laughs) Yeah, the only thing is, Anton, I wonder how many of those 180 million people sat through two hours of this raw mate, really. They clicked on it, they looked at Putin and thought, oh God, he doesn't look great, does he? Is that him at all? You know these rumours about um, about him having a body job? Yeah, is that him really? He's looking a bit chubby. I wonder, is that one of those Laura Piana suits that he's wearing, this fantastically expensive, and then turned off? But does it not need one or two quotes? Does it not just need the soundbite where he denies the, the, the actual cause of the Second World War, where he declares Zelensky to be a traitor to his father, who was a World War II vet, who was actually born in 1947, where he rewrites Russian history? Does, I mean, the, the fact that it can be cu- cut down into soundbites and fed to us through social media, this doesn't worry you? If you're that far down the rabbit hole, you, you believe this stuff anyway. That's exactly it. Well, yeah. let me give you a case in point. During the week, uh, Joe Biden um, had to deal with the special prosecutor's report. And in so doing, he gave a press conference, a press conference filled with, with anger and ire, misspoke in one sentence and now finds himself knee deep. Here's, here it is. The conduct of the response... In Gaza, in the Gaza Strip, has been um, over the top. I think that, uh, as you know, initially the president of Mexico, Sisi, did not want to open up the gate to allow humanitarian material to get in. I talked to him. I convinced him to open the gate. Now, that was at the end of about six minutes of fighting off a media pack of being competent in respect of all the questions that were suggested to him, of dealing with the issues to do with Hamas and Gaza. And he misspoke and referred to the Egyptian president, Abdel Fattah al-Sisi, as being the Mexican president. That has gone worldwide globally and is now being given as the de- definitive proof that Joe Biden is up to it. Yeah, yeah. I know. And you know, an awful lot of the reporting is very ageist, you know, just saying that because he's 81, his mm. memory isn't functioning and, you know, mm. he's not really up to the task. You can be 81 and be very, uh, you know, very well yeah. on top yeah. of your brief and very well able. So yeah. 
But having said that, increasingly it does sound like as if he's really having to struggle to remember. Didn't he get Mitterrand mixed up with Macron, Macron as well this did, week? Yeah, he yeah. referred to President Mitterrand who died like quite a ah, while ago. Yeah, yeah, steady. I regularly find myself standing in rooms in my house going, why did I come in here? I don't put it down to being 83 because I'm not. People misspeak. That's People called threshold memory. Apparently. Your mind is, is programmed to reset when you walk across the threshold of a door. I read about that. So don't worry about that. That's okay, not, I all that's fine. Very normal. What about when I reach for a name and end up going, you know, your man, what's his features? But also, I mean, what they didn't quote apparently was a very sharp rejoinder from from uh, Biden at that at that uh, press conference, conference when some, you know, hostile, I think Fox yeah. News journalist said, um, "What is your memory slipping?" He said, "My memory is so bad, I let you in here." Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, clearly he's he's he has his moments, he has his senior moments, but then. You know, he's, he's but it goes to that thing of the capacity to package mm-hmm. the very small soundbite and what was that line about the truth or a lie turning the world before the truth uh, can get lie its boots is, on? travelling around the world before the truth got its boots on. Th- that yeah. is now turbocharged. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Yeah, I never thought I'd say this, but I think we should finish on a quote from <laughs> Boris Johnson. He says of the interview with Tucker Carlson and Putin, he he gasped fanboyishly at Putin's alleged erudition, boneheadedly accepting the Russian leader's mixture of semi-masticated Wikipedia and outright falsehoods. Well, he can write. He's not bad when he gets he going. Can, yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, <laughs> he can write. Can I just say the best? We didn't talk about the very best question that Tucker Carlson asked during that interview, which was when he asked, uh, so when he asked um, Putin, uh, so do you see the supernatural at work as you look out across what's happening in the world right now? Do you see God at work? I mean, that was what a great question. Say, I am God. I am God. <laughs> <laughs> Barbara Power. Brenda. No, Brenda Power. Who'd I call you? Barbara Power. Where's oh, I finally a... combined you. You yeah, have become yeah, okay. one. <laughs> <We've> become... <laughs> well, that's nice. There was a text that just <laughs> said, Barbara and Brenda on a Saturday, what a duet. Well, there you are. I finally put you together. Brenda Power and Barbara Scully, thank you both very much. The Anton Savage Show, Saturday. With Nifty Business. Saturday morning at nine on News Talk.